It's been said that Alexander the Great once confronted a young soldier who was continually causing trouble. When he discovered his name was Alexander, he said, Young man, either change your conduct or change your name. (laughs) I can't help but wonder what Christ would say to us in a similar confrontation. Does, Does our conduct measure up to the name we wear? When writing to the Philippians, Paul insisted that such was of primary importance. He began the 27th verse of chapter 1 with these words, The only conduct, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only. He begins the sentence with the word only, and the word only denotes priority. It's that which is singled out as the most important, that which is absolutely essential. He was saying something we've got to wrap our head around. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that little word worthy, that means of equal weight. It pictures a balance with our conduct on one side and the gospel of Christ on the other. Now, I find that an unimaginable picture. You know, how can my conduct ever be equal in weight to the gospel of Christ? How can my behavior measure up to what Christ did in coming to earth and living a perfect life and then offering himself a sacrifice for my sin? It just, it doesn't make sense. How can my conduct ever be worthy of the gospel of Christ? It never can. It never can. I could never balance out what Christ did for me. But the interesting thing about what Paul has to say here makes it clear that we can balance it out if we'll do it together. I can't do it by myself But with your help, we can balance out what Christ has done together. As the body of Christ, we can conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Together, together we make his sacrifice worth it. And it is the body that Paul is addressing here. He's addressing the body at Philippi directly and our body by application. So let's read on and see what he has to say about our conduct and how we are to conduct ourselves as a body in a manner worthy of the gospel. He says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents. 
which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now hear to be in me. Paul is making it clear that our conduct as a body is worthy of the gospel of Christ if we are standing firm, if we are striving together, and, and this one may surprise you, if we are experiencing conflict. Let's see how we measure up. Paul wanted to hear that the Philippians were standing firm in one spirit. He wanted to hear that the church was united, that they were standing together as one. Apparently, division was a problem in churches, even in the first century. But that shouldn't surprises. Any church, whether it be a first century church or a 21st century church, is made up of people. And people have different ideas and differing agendas, as has been made uh, abundantly clear during and even after the recent elections. We have different agendas. And our different ideas and agendas are then naturally carried over into our associations. And those differences can be a force for dynamic diversity or destructive disharmony. You know, if everyone insists on having their way, disharmony will prevail. But if diverse ideas are simply offered to the group for consideration and they are carefully evaluated to see if they are consistent with the goals and objectives of the body, much good can come from diversity. We're not all alike, nor should we be. A body is made up of various parts for good reason. It wouldn't be a body if we were all the same part. But a body is more than a collection of parts, each doing its own thing. A body must be unified. All parts must be taking direction from the same place. And in the church, that obviously must be Christ, the head of the body. In order for a church to measure up to the gospel of Christ, it must be committed to the revealed will of Christ it must be securely anchored in the Word of God. Everything that is taught, every program that is instituted, every decision that is made must be done in the light of God's Word. That is where we must stand. Now, I doubt that many... Christians would disagree with that. We ought to stand on the Word of God. But how does the church determine whether or not it is, in fact, standing firm on the Word of God? How does it determine whether or not a particular teaching or program or decision 
is in line with the Word of God. Who makes that determination? Is it a congregational vote? Some churches would do that. In many churches, it's one man who makes the decision, the pastor, Big P. In some, it's a governing board made up of select individuals in the congregation. In some, it's a hierarchy outside of the body itself. Well, I'm thankful that in our church, it's the elders. We have a body of men whom you affirm annually to be biblically qualified and are going to be presenting them and our projection next week to you. Those are the men to whom we entrust the direction of our church. The elders meet regularly, not as representatives of various segments of the church to promote pet programs or personal agendas, but to seek the mind of God on congregational matters. That's the primary function of the elders of Chatham Christian Church, to seek the mind and will of God on matters that affect us as a body. And I believe that the elders enable us to stand firm in one spirit under the direction of the Spirit. It's in the hands of those men. Now, you may not realize it, but as a congregation, we don't have a constitution and bylaws to direct us. We don't even keep official minutes to bind future decisions by past decisions. I remember in Kansas, that was always an issue. They would always want to check the notes. Now, wait a minute. We dealt with this ten years ago. Let's find out what we decided. Maybe God had something else in mind then than he has now. So we try not to bind ourselves to past decisions. We seek only to know the mind and will of God at the moment. And through prayer, study of his word, and unanimity of the elders, where they all agree, we believe we find it. And I believe that has enabled us to stand firm and most often united throughout the years. And I believe we've done so without stagnating. It's, you know, something very important here that a church not stagnate because a church must do more than just stand firm. It has to be going somewhere. If our conduct is to be worthy of the gospel of Christ, we have to be striving together, Paul says, for the faith of the gospel. Paul wanted to hear that the Philippians were with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, I believe singleness of purpose is in view here. The church was to have an objective to advance the gospel. And they were to do so by striving together. Now, the word has an athletic connotation. The church is to be a team moving together toward a common goal. 
If we are to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, we have to be striving together for the faith of the gospel. We have to be seeking to bring others into the faith, and we have to be striving to mature those who come. That is our purpose, to win people to Christ and to help them mature in Christ. Individually, we should be committed to that objective, and collectively, we should be seeing results. Now, you may not see a lot of results in your personal outreach. You may not be able to get those notches on your gospel gun. You know, when you see, I won 14 people to the Lord last year. You may never actually win someone to Christ by yourself. We all have different gifts. But we can all be planting seed. And we can all have a hand in watering the seed that's been planted. We can all point people to Christ. And we can all model and encourage a growing relationship. With Christ. And if we're all doing that, we will see life and growth in the church. Lives will be changed, and God will bring the increase He desires to the body. You know, Christ came to earth to give men a second chance. That's the gospel. The good news we're to share. Even though all have sinned and deserve to die eternally, God wants all to know life through His Son. And the only way we can balance out what Christ did for us on the cross is to commit ourselves to sharing that good news with others. It's impossible for us to live a life that's good enough to merit His death. And even as a church... We cannot do enough to merit his death. But if we share the faith of the gospel with others, it makes his sacrifice worthwhile. We conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ when we share the gospel. So, how, as a church... Are we doing in this regard? That's a hard question to answer. Some would suggest that we're not doing very well because we've pretty much been the same size church for over 40 years. If we're doing a good job, shouldn't we be a lot bigger? The Chatham community has grown tremendously. Why haven't we? And why haven't most of the churches in Chatham? You know, the only church that has seen exceptional growth in Chatham is the Catholic Church. Is that simply because Catholics generally attend their local parish church and Protestants are less committed to a local church or to even a particular fellowship, denomination, and 
We are basically a bedroom community, and Springfield holds more options. Or is it because we aren't working hard enough? You know, people want different things from a church. And churches differ dramatically on what they offer. Are we being insensitive to the desires and maybe even the needs of people by not doing what seems to draw big numbers to a church? Or are we being faithful to our mission? by not allowing the whims and fancies of the religiously minded to dictate the focus of our ministry. I don't know. And if the size of a church isn't a valid measure of a church's faithfulness to the Great Commission, how do we evaluate a church's faithfulness in sharing the gospel? Before we decide, we might want to consider what Paul had to say in 2 Corinthians 10.12. For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. I think Paul is there warning us the danger of comparisons. You know, every local body of Christ is unique, made up of individuals that Christ adds to that particular church. So it's foolish to compare one body with another. If a church is taking direction as best it can from Christ, it is doing what Christ wants it to do. We're not in competition with anyone. We shouldn't be trying to out-program or out-promote anyone. But we must be faithful in striving together for the faith of the gospel. We must be faithfully sharing our faith. If we are doing that, we should regularly see signs of new life in the church. And we do. And we should see lives being changed more and more into the image of Christ. And we do. So, I think we're doing okay. I think we're doing what Christ wants Chatham Christian Church to be doing. I believe we are standing firm in one spirit. And with one mind, we are striving together for the faith of the gospel. That doesn't mean we're doing all that we could be doing Nor does it mean that everyone will like what we're doing. In fact, a church that is conducting itself worthy of the gospel of Christ will often find itself experiencing conflict 
Paul said, we should be in no way alarmed by op- opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. We must never forget that we are in spiritual warfare. That we are fighting, not against each other, but against rulers, against powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. If we are conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, we'll not find approval in the world. In fact, we will be experiencing conflict. So we must not be alarmed by opposition. In fact, we should be encouraged by it. If we are standing firm and striving together for the faith, there will be opposition. But that opposition merely confirms that we are rightly engaged in spiritual warfare. And rest assured, we are on the winning side because we're on Christ's side. Even temporary losses don't alarm us because we've been granted the privilege of not only believing in Christ, but also of suffering for his sake. Jesus said, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And Paul said we should be experiencing the same kind of conflict he experienced. When he went to Philippi, the gospel not only made friends, it also made enemies. Paul was beaten and imprisoned for preaching the gospel and was at the time of writing a prisoner in Rome. We should expect conflict. We shouldn't try to generate it. And we shouldn't intentionally try to find causes that will alienate us from the community and mobilize the opposition. But if conflict arises from our taking a biblical stand on moral issues, or from openly sharing our convictions and faith with others, we shouldn't be shocked. In fact, there's a good possibility we should be seeing more conflict than we are. Maybe we're not doing enough. Maybe we're not confronting the world as often as we should. Maybe we're not striving diligently enough for the faith. Maybe we've become too comfortable. There's not enough difference between us and the world for anyone to even notice. If we are to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, we better make sure we're standing firm, striving together, and experiencing conflict as a church 
and as individuals. So what will it cost us? What will it cost me to follow the Lord? What's the price of a life that's restored? If I'm willing to walk in his way, what is the price I must pay? Everything. It's a great song. It's a great truth. We've got to be willing to be what Christ has called us to be. No matter what. No matter who approves. No matter who disapproves. We have to stand firm, united in the Word of God. We have to be willing to express openly and freely those matters we find in God's Word. We've got to be willing to confront, even in the workplace, moral issues and questions that are brought to our attention. As a church, we have to pray for wisdom to know when to be involved in activities and when not to be involved in activities. Again, it's not our desire to stir the pot. It's our desire to just be faithful. But if we're going to be faithful, we should see some conflict. So don't let that distress you. We're going to have some who brand us a failure. We're going to have some who think we're out in left field or right field, whichever field is the wrong field. I just want to be found faithful. I want my personal conduct and I want the conduct of us as a body to be worthy of the gospel. Let's take seriously that charge, that charge and let's be willing to, to do what's required of us no matter the consequences. What will it cost us to follow the Lord? What will it cost us to walk in His way? Everything. That's all we'll pay. Let's do it. Let's stand.